Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingas. Shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready, because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss how to deliver unreasonable hospitality a meal featuring your name and lights, and a great way to turn a mistake into marketing. Pate, partage, and punch. Oh my. We're excited to give you an overview of an important book you should know about, as well as share some of our favorite passages as part of our next book report. Several months ago, I saw a book on Amazon with a description that was so intriguing that I purchased the book immediately, even though it would be months before it was officially published. Now, did you have to change your address on Amazon because you moved (laughs) in the meantime? That's a nice callback, my friend. I like that. Yeah, I was able to... This is one of those books that it worked out for. Let's just say that. The book arrived a few days ago, and I got to tell you, it's one of those books that you stay up well past your bedtime reading because the stories are just that good. Unreasonable Hospitality, The Remarkable Power of Giving People More Than They Expect is written by Will Gadara. Will was 26 when he took the helm of Eleven Madison Park, a struggling two-star restaurant in New York City that had never quite lived up to its majestic setting. Barely a decade later, 11 Madison Park was named the best restaurant in the world. Here's Will with a quick overview about how a hot dog led to world-class customer and employee experience. My worldview and my life changed when I decided to serve a $2 hot dog in my very fancy four-star restaurant, giving four out-of-town customers who were craving authentic New York City street food a personalized experience and giving them a story they'd be telling for years to come. This move earned such a positive reaction that I began pursuing this kind of, what I call, unreasonable hospitality full-time, seeking out ways to create extraordinary experiences and give people more than they could ever possibly expect. I wrote this book because I believe it's time for every one of us to start being unreasonable about hospitality. Far too many companies have left the human behind. They've been so focused on products, they've forgotten about people. The solution is simple, if not easy. Create a culture of hospitality, which means addressing questions I've spent my career asking. How do you make the people who work for you and those that you serve feel seen and valued? How do you give them a sense of belonging? How do you make them feel part of something bigger than themselves? How do you make them feel welcome? In this book, I share stories from the 25 years I've spent working every position in a restaurant, from dishwasher to owner and everything in between. And I'll share the lessons I've learned about service and leadership through the lens of hospitality, the little ones, the big ones, 
and the little ones that turned out to be big ones. Everything, in other words, you need to create magic for the people you work with, the people you serve, and for you. Welcome to the hospitality economy. I love this concept of the hospitality economy because we've definitely seen, and and for sure the pandemic even exacerbated this, a desire for consumers to have a relationship with the businesses that they spend their hard-earned money at. It's not just a transaction anymore. And I think hospitality is a great way to talk about that because when we think of hospitality, we think of a great hotel or a terrific restaurant or some travel experience. And it doesn't matter if you're in one of those industries or not, you can still treat your customers that way. So very interesting and I can see why it kept you up. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. Will shares more about the hot dog story that he just referenced in his book and in his TED Talk as well. He calls it improvisational hospitality. In this particular instance, four foodies from California were enjoying dinner at 11 Madison Park. And as he cleared the appetizers, he heard them talking about all the amazing restaurants that they had enjoyed meals at during their trip. And then one lamented as kind of a casual aside, The only thing we didn't get to try was a New York City hot dog. Will was paying attention. He took notice. He finished clearing the plates and raced out of the restaurant down the street to get what New Yorkers call a dirty water dog. And then he convinced the chef to cut the dog into four perfectly cut pieces and plate them with a swish of ketchup, a swish of mustard, a canal of sauerkraut, a canal of relish. Will and his team then delivered the hot dog course and said, quote, to make sure you don't go home with any culinary regrets, a New York City hot dog. The guests were absolutely stunned. They called it the highlight of their meal. In fact, many of them said it was the highlight of their entire trip to New York. Well, I have to jump in here and say that I much prefer a Chicago hot dog to a New York hot dog. (laughs) I knew there was going to be a mention of a Chicago hot dog here, no matter how hard I tried. And by the way, without the swish of ketchup, we would never do that here in Chicago. Uh, You know, this reminds me, and I've got to be honest, I don't have my episode, you know, picking ability on today as well as normal. But didn't we talk about a restaurant at some point where the waiter or waitress overheard the customers talking about needing to refill their parking meter. And then the, the waiter or waitress went outside and filled it for them. Well, Am I making this up? I, I you, seem to you, remember that. Well, interestingly enough, I can't remember if we talked about it on the show or not, but there is a story of how they do that at 11 Madison Park in the book where the first time somebody asks, they're like, oh, this is a great way to provide customer service. And then they start to make it a regular thing that when you check in for your reservation, they say, by the way, where did you park? And what were you driving? And if they tell them that as soon as they're seated, they say, hey, by the way, don't worry about going out to feed the meat or we'll just do it while you eat here. They, they systematize the experience. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. So here are four quick quotes from unreasonable hospitality. The first is, fads fade and cycle, but the human desire to be taken care of never goes away. The second is, when you create a hospitality-first culture, everything about your business improves, whether that means finding and retaining great talent, turning customers into raving fans, or increasing your profitability. And I love that one because it ties back to the business case for customer experience. And so any of you CEOs out there being like, hey, customer experience, that's a soft skill. That doesn't really affect the bottom line. Oh, yeah, it does. 
The third is, if your business involves making people happy, then you can't be good at it if you don't care what people think. The day you stop reading your criticism is the day you grow complacent and irrelevance won't be far behind. And finally, the rule of 95-5. Manage 95% of your business down to the penny. Spend the last 5% foolishly. It sounds irresponsible. In fact, it's anything but. Because that last 5% has an outsized impact on the guest experience. It's some of the smartest money you'll ever spend. Oh, I'm so glad you picked that as the last one because that one really stood out to me as well, Dan. So often, I know you get asked this by audience members and so do I, well, how much money should I spend on customer experience? And I've never thought of it this way, that if you manage 95% of your business and really pay close attention to the finances, you can make that 5% a way to show unreasonable hospitality. You can, as uh, Will says, spend it foolishly because it will be the thing that really stands out. I got to tell you, I too struggled to find a single passage to share. But given how closely customer experience and employee experience align, I wanted to share some interesting examples of how Will empowered his team to take more ownership of the experiences they were creating every night. You know, this is a common lament amongst customer experience leaders around the world. It's like, well, how do I get everybody else in the organization to care about the experience as much as I do? What Will did was really creative. He decided to have individual team members own certain parts of the experience. Now, a sommelier at a fancy restaurant to help you figure out what kind of wine you want to have isn't a surprise. But when Will added a beer expert and a coffee expert, it not only turned heads and created something remarkable for the customers, but it gave those up-and-coming employees feelings of autonomy, feelings of responsibility that dramatically increased employee engagement. But he didn't stop there. And I quote from the book, Our staff loved the ownership programs because every single person who worked for us started as a food runner. Some of them could work there for three years before they became a captain. Those ownership programs gave these motivated, creative people a project to engage in while they were earning their stripes. When we saw what a tremendous success we were having with the beverage programs, our management team came up with a list of every aspect of the restaurant that could benefit from some attention, including linens, side work, and educational training. These were less shiny, but they would make a real difference in the experience of those who worked there and are on our bottom line. The guy who took over CGS, which stands for China Glass and Silver, sexy as it gets, right? Dedicated himself to reducing breakage. He discovered the racks in the dish room were half an inch too short. So the stems poked up above the top when the glasses went through the dishwasher. A couple of new glass racks later, and he'd eliminated loss by 30%. That's serious money and a major morale booster. It also meant that we no longer ran out of water glasses in the middle of service. Then he sent the handyman out for a thick rubber matting and installed it on the stainless steel table that held plates waiting to be washed. And bingo, no more chips on the raised rim at the bottom of our expensive handmade ceramic chargers either. These weren't line items lost on a manager's to-do list, crowded with a thousand other things, but minor inexpensive fixes implemented by a young person paying close attention. These small shifts saved the restaurant thousands of dollars in the first couple of months. And while some of these programs affected the guests more directly than others, 
You didn't have to know what the linen closet or the glass racks looked like to feel the effects. I really love that story because we talk a lot about this on the show that it's the little things that matter. I always hesitate when somebody thinks that customer experience has to be this multi-year, multi-million dollar project. And when we look at it that way, it often gets lost among other multi-year, multi-million dollar projects. Whereas when we look at it as just a series of little things, it's something that we can do every day and we can train every employee to do within sort of the confines of their role. One thing that he doesn't say here, but I think he sort of suggests is that this person that came up with all of these ideas sort of became an up-and-comer in the organization, right? That's how you move up is, is you come up with great ideas in the space that you're assigned to. And ultimately, you're not a food runner or a dish cleaner your whole career. You, you move up because you can show ownership and frankly, passion around it, which is, I think, really cool. Absolutely. You know, it feels only appropriate to have Will share his favorite passage last, especially given that it explores the experience at the end of the meal. The very end of the meal is always precarious from a hospitality perspective. First of all, it's time to pay, and that's never fun. And the timing is hard to get right. When some guests are ready to leave, they're ready to leave. But at the same time, you can never put the check down before the guest has asked for it, because that gives them the feeling you're trying to rush them out. At 11 Madison Park, we used hospitality to solve both potential problems. We didn't wait for the guests to ask for the check. Instead, at the end of their meal, we'd bring the bill over and drop it off, along with an entire bottle of cognac. We'd pour everyone at the table a splash and leave the full bottle on the table. Please help yourself to as much as you'd like with our compliments. And when you're ready, your check is right here. People were delighted by this. There's no way a person that just been given a full bottle of free booze can feel like they're being rushed out. And yet, at the same time, the check was right there whenever they were ready for it. This is a hospitality solution. Too often, when we're faced with a pernicious problem in our business, we fall back on the tried and true. Push harder, be more efficient, cut back. Imagine, though, that instead of resorting to one of these fallback positions, you asked yourself, what is the hospitality solution? What if you forced yourself to be creative, to develop a solution that worked because of, not in spite of, your dedication to generosity and extraordinary service? As Will notes, quote, I'm not in the business of serving dinner. I'm in the business of serving memories. I love it. Serving memories. So what's something you can do that would be unreasonable hospitality. Let us know what you come up with and we might feature your story on a future episode of Experience This. Now, if you enjoyed this book report and would like your own copy of Unreasonable Hospitality, be one of the first 10 people to message me, joey at joeycoleman.com or dan, dan at dangingas.com or you can find Dan on the socials and we'll be happy to send one your way so that you can become more unreasonable with your hospitality. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Hey Dan, what's the most memorable meal you've had at a restaurant in the last year or so? 
Well, I had the pleasure of doing a keynote speech in Cartagena, Colombia earlier this year and had never spent any real time in Cartagena. And the person leading the event, who is Colombian, recommended to me and my girlfriend that we go to Selele for lunch. And I knew the moment we walked in that this was going to be great because we were the only non-Colombians in the restaurant. And that's always a great sign, right? If the locals are there eating. And the atmosphere was incredible. The food was the most beautiful, not to mention tasty, that I've had maybe ever. The service was impeccable. We, it was our first meal in Colombia. And that's about the moment where we decided we wanted to stay for a while. Oh, I love it. I love every piece of it. So how about you, Joey? Well, I actually had an epic meal a few weeks ago when I was in Las Vegas that was not only my best of 2022, but it was probably in the top three for the last decade. Okay, I got to hear more about it. I just want to point out that I love that you rank your meals over the last decade. I think that's really cool. You got <laughs> well, a spreadsheet or something? Yeah, I guess I'm just saying this one really stood out. You know, I was trying to think of all the great meals I've had. And this one skyrockets to the top for a number of reasons that I'd love to explore in our conversation today. But uh, yeah, it was definitely a memorable one. The restaurant is called Partage. And they offer a modern take on the French dining experience. Now, I got to tell you, when you roll up on the restaurant, it's in a strip mall that you would just drive past without a second thought. It's not on the main strip in Las Vegas. It's kind of in this random part of town. And if you did drive by, you would miss the gem of culinary experience that is hiding just behind the doors. The experience was so incredible that I could frankly talk about this for an entire episode. But at the risk of making all of our listeners hungry, instead, I'd like to highlight just three things. The egg, the bubble, and the table. Ooh, can I pick which one you talk about first? All right. That's not normally how we do this, but sure. Go ahead. Well, I want to go with the table because I have a feeling the egg or the bubble, it's like saving the best for last. I like it. Well, I got to tell you, we're going to start out strong then though. The table was amazing. So when was the last time you went to a restaurant and you wanted to talk about the table? Well, for me, it's every time I talk about Partage. Now, what's great is they have a private dining room and I was hosting a dinner there for about a dozen people. We walk in to find that the table is a giant screen that lights up. So there are plates sitting on top of the table and I'd work with our designers to create custom graphics underneath the table. So there's kind of a light show going on underneath the table with different imagery that's relevant to the event that I'm hosting and kind of some of the themes that we're going to be talking about. And the plates that are sitting on the table, instead of having a little name card with your name on it, all of the plates have the names of the attendees on the plates because there are also projectors in the ceiling that are custom fitted to only project onto a single plate. And so you can have individual messages or designs or artwork on every plate. Okay, that's pretty cool. I, you, you're right. You started <laughs> strong there. I mean, the play was it was insane. We 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 literally had walked in. We hadn't even been seated at our table, and people got their phones out and they're posting on Instagram and they're taking photos to show their friends. And the meal hasn't even started. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, what about the bubble? All right, the bubble relates to the signature experience of their signature cocktail called the South of France. All right, hold on a second. I caught 
You don't even drink alcohol, Joey. You How are, are going to tell us about this one? You're correct, Dan. And I don't, but some of the folks I was having dinner with do. And the experience of watching them drink their drink was so magical that I was captivated by what had been created. So the South of France drink is a mix of gin, peach schnapps, homemade lavender syrup, lemon, and cranberry juice. Now, it's served in a martini glass by a master mixologist. And sitting on top of the drink is a giant bubble. It's about the size of a baseball sitting it kind of in or on top of the martini glass. And as you look at the bubble, wispy gray smoke spinning around inside the bubble. Now, guests are given a little special something. I don't want to give it away in case anybody goes there, which they use to pierce the bubble. The smoke then rolls and falls down the sides of the glass like a waterfall, creating a magical experience before you've even taken the first sip. Wowzers, as a former bartender, I got to say, I made that drink all the time. <laughs> no, I've never heard it. of anything like that. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it was it was absolutely crazy. And I know you're a gin guy, Dan. Uh, you know, to call us back to uh, an episode, I'm sure you remember the name and the number that we did, you know, ages ago where you talked about making your own uh, Sipsmith gin drinks, I think it was. Ah, yes. That would be season two, episode 46. One of my favorites, Joey. Thanks for that callback. All right. We've covered a table and a bubble. I seem to remember the last thing had to do with an egg. You are correct, my friend. And to be honest, this is a dish that I will remember for a very long time. The wait staff brought out a large plate that was covered in colored grasses. Think green, brown, beige, that kind of looked like a nest. And on top of the grass was a porcelain cylinder with a glass dome covering it. Now, under the dome was some swirling smoke, similar to that drink bubble, but much thicker and smokier. And when they removed the glass dome, the smoke dissipated, revealing a plate on top of the cylinder. Now, the plate was covered with delicious whole kernels of corn in a corn and pepper velouté with a deviled egg sitting on top that looked like a bird egg. Okay, wait a minute. Cut again. What the heck's a velouté? Velouté is one of the five French sauces. It's kind of like, folks are probably more familiar with like the hollandaise sauce. It's one of the signature sauces that they make. Basically think of it as just like, buttery, delicious goodness wrapped around whole kernels of corn. It was okay, ridiculous. That, that's was all ridiculous. fine. That's all fine. I just wasn't going to let you off the hook just throwing some French word here in our show. No, I appreciate Well, you know, if it's an episode about partage, which is a French word, I got to at least try to include some French. But anyway, there's an egg sitting in the voulette. It's a deviled egg. It looks like a bird's egg. And it's breaded with this coating, which I don't even know, I'm embarrassed to say, what the coating was, but it was so good that every bite was better than the previous bite. Now, this was but one course in a seven-course tasting menu that also included things like seared foie with coffee foam and Partage's famous oxtail croque monsieur. The meal was ridiculous. Yeah, it's barely pronounceable, but that sounds incredible. I mean, what I love about this is... Uh, and, and we've talked a lot about restaurants here, and you and I uh, both have, I know, for our books, interviewed restaurateurs. And the thing is, is that experience is 
part of what's going on at a restaurant. It isn't just food. It isn't just service. There's sort of this third leg of the stool, which is how do we get to people's emotions? How do we surprise people? How do we get them, as you mentioned before, to pull out their phones and take pictures so they can share on social media without us having to tell them to? And it certainly sounds like Partage has all three of these things down to a T. They really do, Dan. And to be honest, that's why I wanted to feature the restaurant. They looked at so many aspects of the experience. The table, the plates, the presentation, the preparation of the meal, the drinks, the sequencing of the dishes. Every experience can be orchestrated, regardless of your business. How can you use the inspiration you might find at a fine dining restaurant to think differently about your delivery mechanisms, your presentation, your appetizers, your desserts, all the things that contribute to your customer's journey. Now, the name of the restaurant is Partage, which means sharing in French. And it ties nicely to the founder's goal of sharing their passion for amazing food with their guests. The question for all of our listeners to consider is what type of experience are you sharing with your customers today? And what would it take to make that menu even better tomorrow? Are you tired of not knowing the answer to customer questions? Do you wish everyone on your customer support team had a high level of subject matter expertise so they could respond to customers efficiently and accurately? If so, maybe it's time for you to swarm. This is Acme Airlines, your home in the sky. I'm Freddie. Who do I have the pleasure of speaking to today? Uh, hello, uh, my name is Jonah Jackson, and I've got some first-class upgrade certificates on my account that I can't seem to use when purchasing a ticket online. I'm not sure if it's the certificate or the route or the fact that I'm doing it online. Can you help me figure this out, please? Oh, sure, I can do my best. Give me a few seconds to call up your account and check to see what certificates you have available. Okay, I'm seeing you have several upgrade certificates that allow domestic upgrades and one that allows an international upgrade. Now, what are you trying to do? Well, I'm hoping to fly from Chicago to Miami, stay for one night, and then fly on to Brazil. I was hoping to use the single international upgrade certificate for that since it's all on the same flight. Well, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure, but I'd love to see if we can make this happen for you. Can you hold on for one minute while I see what options are available with that certificate? I never handle international upgrades. Everything I do is for the domestic flights. I'm not even sure if we can use these or what's possible. I better swarm. Great, I've got Aiden, Gigi, and Declan from our international desk in the swarm. I bet they deal with this kind of stuff all the time. Let me just share what the customer is trying to do and see what's gonna be possible. Hmm, it seems like normally this isn't possible, but I really want to help this guy out. Are there any workarounds they would recommend? Yes, that, that one, that'll work. Mr. Jackson? I'm still here. Well, you'll be happy to know that I figured out a way to allow you to overnight in Miami and then fly first class on both legs of your flight. Now to do this, we need to book you on a flight. Swarming is a framework that allows your support team to draw on the collective knowledge of your entire enterprise. Think of it like a beehive. When an agent initiates a swarm, Coveo's AI-powered software instantly identifies the best subject matter experts in your organization. These experts 
Think of them as bees. Gather in a dedicated Slack channel to workshop a solution in real time. Like a group of bees, they collaborate to produce the best honey. Once they've identified the best answer, the bees go back to their other tasks, leaving behind not only the golden answer you seek, but a honeycomb-like framework that makes answering questions like this easier and faster next time. Swarming is a great way to make information about more obscure aspects of your business available to every agent in real time. To find the sweet solutions your customer service team needs, visit get.coveo.com slash experience this. That's G-E-T dot C-O-V-E-O dot com slash experience this, where you can access an ebook with an overview of how swarming works and schedule a demo to see how swarming can help your team deliver better customer and agent experiences. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? My buddy Clay Bear and I deliver a joint presentation called Carpe Defect, How to Turn Your Mistakes into Marketing. And I had an experience the other day that perfectly illustrated how to do this. And it all started with some Neapolitan pizzas. Well, I love the title Carpe Defect. And I also love this idea of turning mistakes into marketing. This idea of being self-deprecating, it's a, you know, a tool that, a, that comedians use often. And I think that while humor certainly can be a little bit iffy in marketing, being self-deprecating generally comes off as being genuine and authentic. And it tends to make people smile as well. So excited to hear what's going on here. Well, not only does it make people smile, but even if you're just honest about what went wrong and you admit to the mistake and you try to make it better, you don't even have to get all the way to the self-deprecating humor if you if you don't want to or you can't. Sometimes just saying, hey, I'm sorry and I'll do better next time and here's the situation and here's how we're going to make it better for you is enough to create a long-term customer. But this situation all started with some pizza. Now, as our loyal listeners know, I just moved to Woodbury, Minnesota. And as a general rule in our family, we enjoy having pizza for dinner on many, if not most, Friday nights. It's a fun way to end the week. No one needs to cook dinner. We can support a local business in our community, have some pizza, watch a movie. It's good times. And for the last few weeks, we've been trying a number of places in the community. We'd heard good things about Punch Neapolitan Pizza, so we decided to give them a try. My wife placed the order online for pickup. And since they have smaller personal-sized pizzas that are a thinner Neapolitan style, everyone in the family got to order their own personal pizza. I took our two boys to pick up dinner. And when we walked into the restaurant, we saw that it was standing room only. Always a good sign when you're trying a restaurant for the first time. It really is. And that's what I thought too, Dan. Now, we'd scheduled our pizza for pickup at 5.45 p.m. Now, because I had both boys with me, we arrived a little bit closer to 6 p.m. We were running late. And when we got there, we were told that it would be about 10 minutes more before our pizza was ready. So when we think about that, we're 15 minutes late plus 10 minutes more. It's about 25 minutes past when we had scheduled the pickup for and when the order should have been ready. But that didn't feel like a giant imposition and we were happy to get our pizza and be on our way and go home. Okay, well, I'm sitting here drooling. How was it? The pizza was 
delicious. Oh my gosh, it was so good. We'd been looking for our new go-to pizza place for a while and the whole family agreed that we'd finally found a place where we wanted to become regulars. But what happened next is what really surprised me and frankly, reaffirmed my instinct about the restaurant. The next morning, Saturday morning, my wife received an email from Punch Pizza. It came from Tracy Litzenberg, the director of marketing, and it read as follows. Hello. First off, we want to thank you for your order at Punch Pizza Woodbury last night and also want to acknowledge and apologize for what ended up being a disorganized dinner rush in which we ran behind on many orders. While we strive for smooth operations and quick service, we realize we failed at this last night. But our team has learned many lessons and can assure a much improved experience, which you've come to expect from us on future visits. Please enjoy this one-time use coupon, good for $20 off your next online order while logged into the Punch Pizza app or on our website. The coupon's good until the end of the year. Again, thank you for your patronage and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Have a great weekend. Now you see, folks, this is how you run a business. <laughs> right? I they, mean, I was blown away. Yeah, I mean, obviously... It was a successful evening for them because, as you mentioned, it was standing room only. So this is a good problem to have. But at the same time, they're not resting on their laurels. They're realizing that in having a standing room only night, they also disappointed certain people, including maybe those that were ordering out. And most restaurants would not do anything about that. Most restaurants would just sort of, I don't know, just keep moving on and, and ignore it. The fact that they took the time out the next day to send this email, to apologize, acknowledge it, and of course, to invite you back with a coupon is absolutely brilliant. And I know that you don't have this statistic, but I'd be willing to bet that the vast majority of people that received this email went ahead and used the coupon and ordered again. I would guess that they would. And here's the thing. If they didn't, that's okay too. Because they had the experience of getting the coupon, getting the apology. You know, the email follows a great format for how you acknowledge mistakes and make them better. First, it addresses what happened or what went wrong. It then takes responsibility. They apologize and do their best to make it better with a coupon. And they promise to do better next time. And the coupon, to be clear, at $20 off... At Punch Pizza, that's going to be good enough for two, maybe three of their personal pizzas, depending on which toppings you prefer. So this is a substantial coupon. And the fact that the coupon doesn't expire for two months makes it all the better. Now, I think what's also interesting about this, I did a little research on the marketing director, Tracy. She's been with Punch Pizza for over 11 years and oversees all aspects of digital for the company including being responsible for implementing the online ordering system that took their online sales from 2% of company sales to 80% of company sales in just two months. And I'm guessing that not only does this company do a great job of hiring terrific people like Tracy, but they also empower them to do what's right by the customer. And so, you know, Tracy obviously was probably not happy with what was going on that evening either. And the ability to send this email, hopefully without having to ask a whole lot of permission, is the kind of atmosphere that people like working in. 
And I also just imagine just from you explaining what she did with the digital ordering, that again, she's empowered to make things better. And then guess what happens when we do that? When we allow our employees to make things better for the customer, sales go up. Customers come back. They're more loyal. They tell their friends. The business grows. Absolutely. I mean, this is like the book report from earlier in the episode when uh, Will at, in the book on reasonable hospitality is talking about empowering somebody to fix the dish racks and put down the rubber mat so the plates don't chip. I mean, when we create opportunities for our employees to deliver remarkable experiences and pay attention to the little things, it really improves both the customer experience and the employee experience. Now, to be clear, I'm going to be going back to punch Neapolitan pizza again and again. Not only is the food delicious, but their approach to customer care is top notch. They made a proactive effort to turn a mistake into marketing. Something I want to support, I want to encourage, and I want to spread the word about. So nice job with the Carpe Defect punch pizza and know that you've got a raving fan after only one order. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show... Yay, you! We're curious. Was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. Yes.